today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Jump into the housing market. Uh, you may be alarmed at, uh, well, sticker shock, I guess, is the best way to explain it. Uh, new built single-family home prices are soaring, they say, about 25% over the next little while. Uh, joining us to talk about this is uh, Richard Lyle. He is the president of the Residential Construction Council of Ontario. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, I, w- I want to talk about the housing things in a second, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to call an audible at the line of scrimmage here uh, and, and just pivot for a second. I was reading your newsletter earlier this morning, uh, very informative stuff, and there's a lot of great stuff in here. But even in, in the, your letter at the, at the beginning of this, uh, you talked a little bit about the, the, uh, the state of the industry now uh, as we start to come out of the pandemic and the impact that the pandemic had on the industry. Maybe you could just uh, let our listeners know uh, what's going on, because you, you raise a number of key issues here about not just employment, but uh, the state of some of the people in this industry and how the the, the the pandemic impacted them oh for sure i mean uh you know uh, uh first of all the safety issue was the number one thing and we dealt yeah. with that right away we were the first industry to come up with a safety protocol uh and uh, because we wanted to stay open and we wanted to stay open because housing is a need right so yep. we needed to uh, we knew that any time lost in production uh would be would be time that we could not make up later uh and uh we also know that we've got a housing crisis we're not producing enough housing according to our demographic needs so that was going to be a real problem so we dealt with that first and of course uh you know with uh with the pandemic we've had a number of surprises uh most particularly uh with respect to our supply chain uh, which was uh, disrupted uh, significantly, uh, and there are a variety of reasons for that. But uh, be that as it may, you know we we had a uh, that's resulted in sort of a commodities boom, and uh, but there's been shipping problems and other issues uh, that we've had to uh, adjust to, and uh, also the other surprise was the way the market took off, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, when you have a year-over-year increase of starts uh, in the range of 30 40%, uh, you know, you just don't, uh, you just don't immediately turn on a tap and you, suddenly you've got the people there that can do the work. So um, that was an additional challenge that we're still, uh, we're still dealing with now. Um, and, uh, but thankfully, even though we've had some productivity issues in terms of uh, the ability to get the 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 work done uh we've been we've done fairly well we've done fairly well but you know housing uh still subject to the laws of demand and supply and uh, yeah. uh we actually need to produce more housing coming out of recovery so we need to do a number of things there to uh, facilitate that process and one of them is to modernize and digitize the entire approvals process which uh is in badly need of uh streamlining there's a human cost to this too. I, I know that in the letter to the uh, to the industry uh, in the July newsletter. Anyway, you talked about the human cost of this, and and we've talked about this in a broad-based issue. You know, people that have been, you know, working from home, uh, li- living with the stress of the pandemic. Uh, you know, we know that alcohol consumption is up. Uh, people are gaining weight. There's a concern about mental health, certainly, and that was evident in your industry as well as as well as addiction. I was surprised to see uh, about uh, the opioid-related deaths in the industry. That it was impactful, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. That's a serious problem, uh, especially when you look at the numbers. 
uh, it was a pre-existing problem, but yeah. uh, the pandemic, like in so many other areas, has exacerbated uh, you know pre-existing issues and conditions. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the mental health elements. I mean, somebody was just telling me that divorce rates are up, uh, way up. Uh, it's hard to even get a divorce lawyer <laughs> uh, because of, uh, you know, the stay-at-home conditions and so on. And then uh, there's the other issue of, uh, you know, we had a pre-existing uh, skills, uh, skill shortage before, and now with the recovery, uh, some people are not going back to work, uh, and uh, the available uh, labor in many situa- in many instances is not trained to do the work that's needed. So, um, so all of those things, and then of course, you know, the people that were, uh, you know, especially in the service industry that just got hammered by this. Um, uh, you know, hopefully the, uh, reopening and recovery will go without any further shutdown. So there can be some recovery there, but there's some real serious problems out there. And I really feel for people. I mean, we were lucky enough in our industry to keep working throughout this for good reasons, but others weren't. And, uh, it's had a, it's had a horrible toll on, on people's mental health. Yeah. Well, I would encourage people to go in, and you can check this out, just Google it, uh, by the way, uh, Residential Construction Council of Ontario. Look for the July newsletter, because uh, there's a, a lot of information in there about how you in the industry are dealing with some of the problems you just outlined here. So let's let's get into the housing end of this and, and talk about this. Uh, we know, I mean, it's it's evident, obviously, prices are off the map these days. And some of the, uh, the reasons, I guess, uh, Richard, are, are pretty evident. We, we know about the cost of lumber and how that's skyrocketed over the last little while. And anybody yeah. that's getting a house or framing a house these days knows all about that. Uh, there's that element too, but it, I guess the number one reason, as, as you've mentioned, uh, is really uh, it's 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 availability, it's stock. Uh, you know, yeah. we don't build enough of the, the, the houses that we need these days. And of course, you know, if, if there's demand and not enough supply, of course prices are going to go up. That's that's economics 101, isn't it? Yes, and that was a pre-existing problem. We already yeah. knew before the pandemic we weren't producing enough. So. Uh, with the jump in demand during the pandemic, you know, people looking for bigger houses, people looking to move out of the city and, and this kind of thing created additional uh, pressures. And uh, but, you know, the the root cause is pretty simple. It's not enough supply to meet demand. So then the question is, what do you do about it? And one of the things that we've been advocating for years and the government's uh, listened to this because they have initiated some uh, digitizing initiatives to to improve government services and so on is that we've highlighted the approvals process that badly needs modernization uh, and and with that you can uh, uh, move um, uh, approvals through the process more efficiently uh, which is a good thing there's also a need for uh, you know certain zoning and site plan approvals changes uh, you know, we're still running into that problem, like, say, for example, with the missing middle, where it's recognized that we need more buildings like this. And uh, yet the uh, the rules and the protocols that are created to ostensibly uh, facilitate that are actually still gumming up the works. So, you know, the, the, the supply of housing has to be prioritized in such a way that is it is the number one policy objective over others. And uh, because of the consequences of a lack of housing, you know, when you have housing shortages, not only do prices go up and people are being basically financially imperiled 
because of that, there's also health and education consequences. You know, families living in crammed or substandard housing, uh, you, you know, rely on, you know, the, the education outcomes are lower than average and the reliance on health care services, which has associated costs, are higher than average. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a pretty fundamental thing. You, you know, to survive in this world, you need shelter, you need food, you need water, right? Uh, and then from there, you go from there. But it's a fundamental need. And so, but it's, it's still not, you know, it's amazing. I mean, we've talked about these things for so long. It's amazing that certain policymakers and certain decision makers still don't get the fact that this is a demand and supply situation. We're not producing enough. So, you know, if we need to produce 20,000 more units of housing a year, then the job needs to be one where we're saying, okay, how are we going to do that? We've got to hit that target. And, and you know, the fact is, is we're not doing that. Uh, and so um, I don't know what the answer is there. There are some positive uh, developments moving in that direction. But, you know, even the government, you know, like, for example, those ministerial zoning orders, which are which are desperately needed and asked for by municipalities, they're just constantly being attacked in the media for doing that. And all the ministerial zoning orders, uh, for example, demonstrate is that there's a problem with the system that needs to be fixed. But until it's fixed, you got to, you know, the minister rightly has to actually step in in certain situations where, you know, a, a, a project that might have hundreds of housing, housing units in the mix is getting tied up for an additional two or three years for nothing, really. So, you know, we've got to get real on this stuff. There's a systemic problem with that. I mean, I, and, and I understand the, the need for, for the, the ministerial orders. I, I, I think governments can abuse it sometimes, and there's probably an argument to be made. But there's a broader concern about systems here, uh, about the appeals process, about local councils, about one person in the neighborhood actually holding up a developer because he says, I don't like that. Uh, and the council, yeah. of course, is, you know, there's an election coming up next year. I, I'm going to side with that guy because he'll put a lawn sign up for me if I do that. And, and these things get dragged out for years. And that's, that's problematic. But there's another problem here, too, I think, Richard, that I, I wanted you to address. There, there used to be a circle of life yeah. with real estate. You know, you'd, as, as a young individual, maybe you get married, you start a home. And, and, and as you start getting a family, maybe a bigger home. Uh, the kids move out, you become an empty nester, invariably you set downsize, maybe to an apartment or something. That's not happening now. People are staying in their houses, even after retirement. Uh, and, and as a result, that cycle yeah. has been broken. And new house construction seems to be the only way to try to do something about that. Well, absolutely. I mean, people are staying in their houses because the value of their houses is going up. So, yep. you know, why, why, why move? Uh, you can stay in there longer. And the other thing is they don't have any choice, right? We're not producing that missing middle housing. We're not producing the uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, mid-rise type housing that is conducive, slightly larger units and the quantity that would be needed that would give um, uh, you know, empty nesters, uh, an option where they can move into, say, a six-story building where you've got, you know, some markets down at the main level and services in the area and walkability and all those things, uh, you know, th those choices aren't available. So where are they going to go? Uh, many of them don't want to go into a tower, uh, and, you know, we, I can't fault them for that. Those, those have their own markets and whatever. And, uh, you know, they want to stay uh, close to the city because their kids are around or, or, as we know, a lot of younger people are staying at home longer. 
but just sticking with the empty nesters, it's it's really a question of uh, lack of choice, uh, and that's where you know we're doing a very good job uh, building uh, high-rise residential. Although there are significant problems there too in getting through the approvals process, but that missing middle is a huge vacuum. And there was a good article in the Star, I think, yesterday about a project down in Leslieville in Toronto where they're trying to build a missing middle, you know, like a six-story building, but the the rules and the protocols and so on and so forth were just delaying uh, approvals and driving up the cost of, of the buildings. So, you know, uh, yeah, and you got to think about what we, you know, what we call the working poor in our world, uh, the service workers and whatever else like that. I mean, where are they going to live? They can't, you know, uh, we need, uh, Toronto needs service workers, but many of them uh, can't afford to live there. Well, not, not even them. I mean, it's uh, other people that can't afford to live in Toronto. You know, your police services, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, it's a it's a real problem. There are real solutions there, but you know, we really need to streamline that approvals process and take that 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 um, you know take it out of the hands of local councils in this on on a number of levels, like where you have uh, minor variances and. Uh, uh, you know, things that really shouldn't be going to council uh, that should be handled by professionals, can be handled by professionals through streamlined rules. Uh, and then we, you know, we've been talking about developing main streets and avenues with mid-rise structures for decades. There's been over 20 reports done on that, but it's still, you know, uh, opening up the main streets and avenues to as-of-right zoning, where if you have a certain property of a certain size, you can just go ahead and build what you need to build uh basically uh but uh you know it, uh, certain people aren't getting it and i think one of the problems there is a lot of the decision makers are you know they're okay they're not actually feeling it themselves right mm-hmm. it's uh, uh and 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 that's a bit of a problem there's a bit of a disconnect with the millennials and the gen xers and stuff like that uh, that are uh, or gen y gen z i mean it's uh, you know you got all those gen groups that are actually feeling, and it's kind of soul destroying when you see young people and they're looking at the price of housing and they're thinking, "Well, I'm getting my education, whatever." But I don't think, you know, outside of uh, having their parents uh, cough up the dough for a down payment, they don't have a chance. And so then they're they're not. Where's your, uh, you know, family family formation rates? You know, so we see our birth rate down. Uh, you know, there's consequences of all this stuff. Just a couple yeah. minutes left here. There's one other sure. issue I really wanted you to address, uh, and that's what we're building and what you're building and what you're allowed to build. Uh, you know there have been some government policies over the last little while. We're, we're expanding. I mean, there are more people going to be living here. There's an expectation in the Hamilton area about another 200,000 people over the next 20 or 30 years. Uh, and and the, the question, as you know, Richard, is do you build out or up? And there are a lot of governments that say not out. That's, that's urban sprawl. We can't do that. We want people to live in high rises. We want them to live within the urban centers now. Yeah. Not everybody wants that not everybody but some people want a backyard and they want a a split level or something like that they don't want to live in in those sorts of units they want a little bit of space how do you meet that demand when it seems as if some governments municipal and provincial uh seem to have a a different point of view yeah well you know behavioral psychology dictates that uh, a young young couple looking to have a family are going to want what they grew up in what their experience was which was by and large you know, having uh, uh, living in a house or a townhouse or a semi, but with a backyard and stuff like that. That still exists. Yeah. In Hamilton's case, they got a real problem there. They got to go up and they got to go out. It's not a 
question of one or the other. And that's being driven by demographics, right? And yep. the same thing with uh, the entire Golden Horseshoe. We've got, you know, the and I'm not I'm not debating this. Uh, it's uh, you know, this, the target is for 1.2 million more immigrants to Canada in the uh, next three years. Well, mm-hmm. uh, most a lot of them, probably about 25 a quarter to a third of them, are going to be in the GTA, possibly even more. So where are they going to live? We're already not producing enough housing. Uh, where, where are they going to go? And uh, Hamilton became a uh, focal point. It's a great location. It's a great city. Uh, but, uh, you know, they need to pull out the stops to allow the density to happen. This is one of the great ironies about, you know, killing urban sprawl. Well, the, the alternative to that was to enable densities. But the problem was is the municipal official plans weren't changed in time, and they're still undergoing changes now, 15 years after the growth plan was introduced. And so we, we didn't adjust. We, 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 we killed the sprawl, but we didn't allow the density to the extent that it's required. Uh, and as you say, you've got, uh, you've got people that uh, want to have, have a backyard of some kind, Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I find it uh, troubling that you get some decision makers who, who are happy with their houses and they've got their backyards and barbecues going. But there's they're sitting there and saying, well, no, you can't have that. And uh, that's not right. Now, having said that, you know, we do have, uh, you know, sprawl is what it is. And uh, but that's where we can look to. Uh, innovations in other parts of the world where they don't have land at all. I mean, you know, it's so, <laughs> people are surprised when you say, we got a land problem in Canada. They go, are you kidding me? Come to Singapore or, or Holland and, and find out what a land problem is, right? But they, you know, like in uh, the Dutch, for example, uh, have uh, many have innovated in developing higher density housing that feels like low density housing. So if the Danish and the Swedes, they've got some incredible uh, housing projects in Copenhagen, Rotterdam, and Stockholm that we can learn from. Uh, but, the, you know, you got to have uh, the uh, desire to do that, right? And uh, I'm not sure if that, that exists yet. I think we're getting there. but There's a lot but, more to cover here, and some of the yeah. added costs, of course, you know, has to do with taxes that municipalities are putting on developments and things like that. But uh, we're right out of time, so this will have yeah. to be a future discussion. But, I, I, well, the problem's not going to go away anytime soon, Richard, so I'm sure we'll pick this up again down the road. Thank you so much for this today. Absolutely. Thank you. I'd love to talk about the cost situation, too. At some we will. Time. We'll get yeah. into that okay. next time. Take care. Richard Lyle, president of the Residential Construction Council of Ontario. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.